it did. Jesus and his disciples are on the uh, Mount of Olives. They're standing above the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was one of the grandest buildings in the world at that time. It was Herod's temple. Herod's temple, And uh, he predicts its destruction. Not one stone will stand on another. And in predicting that destruction, Jesus' uh, word has uh, layers, multiple layers of meaning. The first prediction is that the building itself will be destroyed, and that happened in September of AD 70. Rome and uh, its military might came into Jerusalem to squelch another Jewish uprising and absolutely destroyed the city, including the temple itself, its stones thrown down. And that was a very significant historical event, for it validated Jesus' word, and it confirmed to his followers two further layers of meaning in this teaching. Second, it validated that Jesus Christ is indeed God's new covenant temple. The temple is the locale of God's presence. You may recall in John chapter 2 that Jesus referred to himself as the temple. And he added, at that time, he said uh, it would be destroyed, but in three days he would raise it up again. And he was referring to his death and bodily resurrection from the destruction of death. So uh, when the temple building was destroyed, it confirmed to his followers, that Jesus had indeed fulfilled the old covenant temple building sacrificial system of worship and had begun the promised new covenant in life with God in him. That he indeed is the one sacrifice for all mankind for all time. And that leads then to the third level of meaning in Jesus' prediction, that the temple building is also representative of this entire age in which we now live. This age of our world, stained by sin, broken, sometimes dry and dusty, and certainly death-filled. This age of the earth will be Destroyed. It will end in judgment, just as the temple did, just as Jesus did, bearing the curse of sin for those he redeems. So, musically speaking, what Jesus is doing is uh, kind of riffing. He's saying that the judgment on the temple building foretells the judgment that he will bear and foretells the end and judgment of this age in which we now live. Multiple levels of meaning. Like the temple, Jesus is clear that this age of the earth will one day end. And that's not altogether unusual to hear. Last year, just a few weeks before his death, the famous physicist Stephen Hawking also declared that this age of the earth would end. He figured likely within a hundred years either from a superbug or an asteroid or a nuclear bomb or climate change. Or... But that's not how Jesus says this age will end. He teaches that it will end when the Son of Man himself returns 
from the heavenly holy of holies and splits open the heavens and comes to earth in glory, verse 30. Bringing this age to its culmination into final judgment, purification, and then ushering in the new glorified age of the earth. And all creation is groaning and longing for that day. So the destruction of the temple building in 70 AD, and more significantly, the destruction of Jesus' own body, bear witness to the fact that this age that we live in will not continue in perpetuity, but it will end in order that, just as Christ himself rose from destruction to new life, a new age of the earth can arise in glorified Resurrection life. Till that day, how do we live? Well, to answer, to answer that, I want to first point out two strands of development that are now forming in this age of the earth, both of which are referenced in our scripture reading. The one I'm going to call the kingdom Dynamic, the kingdom dynamic. In verse 14, the Lord says, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The kingdom dynamic. The other strand I'll want to call the lawless dynamic of this age. Verse 12, Jesus teaches... Because uh, in the NIV we read wickedness, but a better translation is actually lawlessness. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Kingdom, lawlessness. Both dynamics growing in this age. Both dynamics, Jesus says, are increasing. It's the paradox of the times that we live in. So let me expand on each of them and then focus on how we live in their context. And I want to begin with the kingdom dynamic because this is one that we are sometimes uh, blind to. Did you hear the good news that our world is pregnant? It's always good news. It's great. In fact, this past week, one of my daughters who's been trying to get pregnant for a long time, called Mama. She said I could share this. She said, Dad, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. Oh, she's so excited. Our world is pregnant. That's how Jesus understood his ministry, impregnating this world with the kingdom of God, bringing heaven on earth. That's his mission. That's his opening ministry statement. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus did not so much come to bring us out of this world to some other worldly kind of heaven. No, he came to bring heaven on earth. He likened his life to being a seed, John 12. A seed that inseminates this world with God's rule, God's kingship, heavenly life. A seed that we remember was buried into this earth. Good Friday. To germinate new life. 
the age to come within the womb of this world. Every Christmas in this sanctuary, first Sunday afternoon in December, two o'clock, you celebrate this. I've been here a few times. The kingdom of this world, Revelation eleven fifteen, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever, right? The eternal reign of God in this world has been established in Jesus. And Isaiah reminds us that of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And that's where the pregnancy analogy is helpful. Once conception occurs, the child is going to keep growing. You'll see signs of it. It's a beautiful sight. It'll keep growing until the day of delivery. And so in verse 8 of our reading today, Jesus describes the tumult of our age as it moves towards its ends as the beginning of birth pains. Pains which are shaping Mother Earth for delivery, like all labor pains, then with contractions and convulsions to come. Jesus' own framework for understanding his ministry and the presence of God's kingdom in this age is pregnancy, conception, growth, and delivery. And therefore, he states in verse 14 of our reading that like a child growing in the womb, before the end comes, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Growth from a single seed, buried Good Friday, to resurrection and Pentecost to a handful of disciples, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the othermost parts of the earth, even South Holland, Illinois. To help us rejoice in and locate the development of this kingdom of heaven today, let me clarify the two aspects of the kingdom of heaven. One is entering the kingdom, entering the rule of God in Jesus, being reconciled to God through him, and then beginning a life of obedience as his disciple in his word and by his spirit. We enter heavenly life today through Jesus, who is the gate, John 10. That's why Jesus invited people to enter heaven. The other aspect of the kingdom, and then it then is bearing witness to God's rule. Bearing witness to the nature and goodness of God's rule, to the character of heavenly life, indeed to the future new earth to come. That's how Jesus understood his work, his vocation along with proclaiming that the kingdom had come, inviting people to enter into it through him by becoming his disciple, then he would, as he called it, manifest the signs of the kingdom, the signs of the future to come. So Jesus fed the hungry, and he fed the hungry to invite people to himself as the bread of life, but also to show people that in God's kingdom, 
in the new earth, that our needs are met. He healed the sick because in God's kingdom there's health. There's no more sorrow. No more sickness. He called his healings signs of the kingdom. He delivered the demonized and oppressed because there's dignity and value for each person in the new earth. He made the lame to walk because there's mobility in the new creation. Mobility to explore and to serve. Even the stories of the resurrected Jesus point to that mobility when he came to his fear-filled disciples through locked doors and spoke to them the word of peace. What mobility. I look forward to that mobility in the age to come. He made the deaf and dumb to communicate because there's the ability to express ourselves in ways we look forward to now in the new kingdom to come. Through Zacchaeus, he restored property to those who had been cheated of because in God's kingdom, there is justice, there is rights of property. Micah 4, they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. He gave sight to the blind because in God's new earth, there's vision and knowledge of God. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the kingdom, which is and is to come. He reconciled John and James with the other disciples because in the new earth, there's peace. Shalom. Swords turned into plowshares. Spears into pruning hooks. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Yes, to call people to himself as the resurrection and the life, but also to show us that there's no more dying in the age to come. That the earth is replete with life. His ministry was to proclaim that heaven had come, invite people into the rule of God through him, and then to live bearing witness to the nature of the new earth in his work. So that people would gain a a taste of the kingdom and indeed be inspired to enter it in Jesus. And so this helps us to understand the increasing kingdom dynamic. Remember I said there's two dynamics. The paradox of our age. The kingdom dynamic in our age today. It's growing like the baby in the womb. In Jesus, people are entering the rule of God dramatically today. In his book, The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity, Penn State professor Philip Jenkins writes this, Christianity is growing explosively outside of the West. For instance, in 1900, there were approximately 10 million Christians in Africa. By 2000, there were 360 million Christians in Africa. By 2025, conservative estimates see the number rising over to 600 million Christians in Africa. Twice the, almost twice the population of our country. Those same estimates put the number of Christians in Latin America in 2025 at 640 million, in Asia at 460 million. By 2050, in his uh, 
In his uh, writing, he says, by 2050, there'll be three billion Christians in the world today, one and a half times the number of Muslims. In fact, by 2050, there will be nearly as many Pentecostal Christians in the world as there are Muslims today. The story, here's his line, of Christianity's explosive growth is one of the great untold stories of our time, a story that North American Christians need to hear. And so I share. Hallelujah. Hosanna to the son of David. That's growth we can rejoice in. We can contribute to. We can support in missions. We can proclaim Christ ourselves. Hastening the day of his return. This gospel of the kingdom, Jesus says, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. But not only are growing numbers of people entering the eternal kingdom of God's rule, so too is its uh, testimony. The signs of that kingdom are also manifest here in this age. In response today, we're going to sing Isaac Watts' great hymn, Jesus Shall Reign. You know how it goes. Blessings abound Wherever he reigns, the prisoner leaps to loose his chains. The weary find eternal rest, and all of the sons of want are blessed. Where Jesus reigns, blessing abounds. Back in 1994, D. James Kennedy, remember Dr. Kennedy's deceased now from Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, wrote uh, a book uh, titled, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? I brought it here. Uh, and in it, he makes uh, clear the impact that Jesus' reign is already making on the earth. Through God-fearing, Bible-believing, Christ-loving, Jesus-anointed people. He writes in this book, hospitals have been founded. I hope you know these things. Universities were founded. Literacy, education for the masses, capitalism free enterprise, representative government. These all stem from the fact that Jesus is reigning. Civil liberties, the abolition of slavery, William Wilberforce, modern science, the discovery of uh, the new world by Columbus, elevation of women, the Good Samaritan ethic, higher standards of justice, condemnation of sexual perversions, high regard for human life, civilizing of cultures, codifying and writing many of the world's languages, greater development of arts and music, on and on. This is a, this is a great book to read, even though it's a bit dated now, 1994. And what I found particularly, particularly valuable is this chapter on science. Because we live in an age where there's such rapid scientific and technological development. But he points out how, uh, thir- he po- cites 30 fields of science that were founded by Christians. Founded. So, for example, I'll just name some of them. Antiseptic surgery, Joseph Lister. Bacteriology, Louis Pasteur. Calculus, Isaac Newton. Celestial Mechanics, Johannes Kepler. Chemistry, Robert Boyle. Computer Science, Charles Babbage. Electromagnetics, Michael Faraday. Gas Dynamics, Robert Boyle. Genetics, Gregor Mendel. Hydrostatics, Blaise Pascal. Oceanography, Matthew Murray. On and on. Jesus 
reigning on earth through his people. And so blessings abound wherever he reigns. And we continue to see this. What a day we live in. Do you know that hunger is vanquishing? Do you know that more people die today now from obesity than hunger? Sometimes we're blind to what's going on in our world. People are living longer. Even since 1990, people on average live seven years longer. We know this. We have a whole ministry to it. Health is spreading. Back in the year 2000, the United Nations established a millennial development goal of by 2015, having the number, one half, the num- having uh, half the number of people with access to safe water, cutting that in half. Well, that goal was accomplished by 2012. These are the days that we're growing. In uh, the New York Times of this year, January 5th, uh, Nicholas Kristof wrote an article. It was titled, Why 2018 Was the Best Year Ever. And he said, each day, on average, another 305,000 people were able to gain access to clean drinking water. Each day, on average, in our world today, 295,000 people gain access to electricity for the first time. And in addition, 620,000 people each day are able to get online for the first time. Which, yes, has its dangers, but what blessings terms of knowing God. Wealth is growing. In the 1950s, a majority of humans lived in uh, what's considered extreme poverty, less than $2 a day. By the 1980s, that figure had gone to 44%. Today, it's less than 10%. Literacy is increasing in our world. In 1970, three-quarters of the world was illiterate. Today, four out of five people can read. Do you see how dramatically this world is changing? Because the good king reigns. Learning is increasing in North Africa and all Asia. There's as many kids in primary school level now as there are in our country. Communication is increasing. You know, people can now type with their eyes. They can... I just looked at this because I know some people in my ministry who could really benefit from this. Stroke victims, they can type with their eyes. There are lasers that fix on their eyes and there's a screen on the computer ahead of them and they just look at a letter and it's circled. And so they can communicate. We live in an amazing... It makes me think of how Jesus opened the mouth of the deaf, unplugged the ears... Of, of, of those who are deaf and open the mouth of the mute. What communication is available? We hosted Chinese students for uh, Ileana, you know, and uh, when their family came over, uh, I have this, th- this little apparatus. I could speak English into it and then turn it around and it'd speak Chinese to their family. What an age we live in! Mobility. Mobility is amazing. I was thinking about this a couple months ago. Driving on the 294, it was a snowstorm. I was driving safely, 60 miles an hour, in a snowstorm. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. And not only that, I'm listening to Mozart on Pandora. And I'm thinking, this, you know, 50 years ago, that is absolutely miraculous, surreal. Property rights are being fought for. Association for a Just Society, Calvin College. 
personal value and dignity is fought for, freedoms, where democracy grows, even safety. Steven Pinker, Harvard College professor, just recently wrote a book called The Better Angels of Our Nature, How Violence Has Declined, and he just cites how radically violence has declined in our world over the ages. Genocides, war, sacrifice, torture, slavery. It's, so we see this dynamic. Signs of the future, the new earth to come, the shalom of God, inviting people to know the king. Jesus is reigning today. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and of the increase of his kingdom. Revelation 21 verse 5, Jesus said, Behold, I am making all things new. Not that I will make things all. I am making all things new. And he will make you new. And he's making new, all things new. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. He must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Not the first. Some Christians mistakenly teach that Jesus doesn't start reigning until, you know, he returns. No, this world is now pregnant and growing with the kingdom. Signs are everywhere inviting people to know the king and enter the kingdom today. So rejoice. Sing Hosanna. The king indeed is here in this world. And be alert to it. This first strand of increase puts us right with the children, squarely in the middle of the Palm Sunday crowd. But Good Friday is coming, and there's another increasing dynamic woven into the reality of this age. The lawless strand. Verse 12, Jesus says, because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of most will grow cold. So even as the kingdom and its fruit increase, so will the power of godlessness. Elsewhere in the Bible, this dynamic is called the spirit of the Antichrist. Because lawlessness represents powers that usurp the true God. His rights, his sovereignty, his truth, his power. These are powers political, economic, media, business, even religious powers that deny the true God and seek to control things that are rightfully his and in ways that are untrue to him. These are powers that say, we'll define marriage this way. Gender doesn't matter as long as two people feel in love with each other. These are powers that say a family is any social group of people who care for each other. These are powers that say gender, gender is just a social construct. You're conditioned either to be a male or a female, so you can choose which one you want to be. These are powers that say life, you know, should be defined according to its economic value. So if you're aged and weak, you know, it might be better for the overall well-being of our economy if you be eliminated. These are powers that define human rights according to personal convenience, not what the God of Scripture and nature 
declares. Lawlessness. Not that they don't form laws. They form laws. God usurping laws. Did you see that in New York State recently? The legislation that approved you can have abortion right up to the day before birth. So sad. So sad. And then when it was passed, the legislature stands and applauds. God usurped. These are powers that have their own language. They called that legislation Reproductive Health Act. The re- it's not too healthy for those murdered babies. These are powers that even define religion as right or wrong according to what they think. So as in China today, as long as you're a Christian church that doesn't speak out against any government policies, you're okay. You can be, you can be a state church. But we'll tell you what to say. We're, our law matters. Just like the Nazis defined the state church in World War II. These are powers that usurp God. In China, now today, they have also begun, take note of this, uh, a, a social credit rating. It's kind of like a financial credit rating. You know how you have financial credit ratings? And uh, if you go for a loan, the loan officer will say, well, let's, let's check out your financial credit rating based on, you know, if you paid your bills. In China now, they have begun a social credit rating. It ranks you on how well you align with government policies, government values. And everything in your life contributes to it, even where you commerce. So, for example, if that were to come into our country, and let's say you decided to buy a a cake from that baker who refused to celebrate a gay wedding, and you, you know, put your Visa card in and bought a cake there, that would decrease your social credit rating. And it would eventually lead you away from certain job opportunities, certain government contracts, membership in political parties, recreational venues. It will cost you socially and economically. These are the powers of lawlessness. In Georgia politics now, Disney and Marvel are threatening to stop working in that state, and it has a big film industry, if certain liberal politicians and their agendas are not voted in. So they're putting economic pressure. Can you imagine if you're a Christian and you're working in the film industry in Georgia? You're in an awkward spot. Remember when the NFL wouldn't play in a certain state because, and it brings millions of dollars with the Super Bowl because uh, that state hadn't yet sanctioned uh, transgenderism. See, it's not hard to see the increase in the power of lawlessness in our day, lawlessness that usurps the truth of God. And as technology increases, the potential for this dynamic to grow and unify around the globe will only increase. Just as in Jesus' day, there was unification between the religious leaders and the Roman political leaders to form a unified control over the outcome of his life. For the well-being of society, of course. We've got to put him to death. In the book of Revelation, this globally unified, lawless, political, economic, media, religious power is called Babylon the Great. And just as clearly as the increase of the kingdom dynamic, so too we can see the increase in the power of lawlessness in our age. It's paradoxical.
And the result of this increasing paradox, Jesus teaches, is going to bring stress on earth. Social, political stress, the rejection of God's truth and control initially leads to nations rising against nations, grasping for power, until I believe they eventually unify in Babylon the Great. But verse 7, he says, there'll be wars and rumors of war. Those are the beginnings of birth pains. He says there's going to be stress geologically. Mother Earth will be in tribulation, famines and earthquakes at first. Then the sun darkens, the stars fall, the heavenly bodies are shaken. Geological stress on Earth. But remember, there's hope in that stress because Jesus says it's the stress of labor. The new age is about to be born. You mothers who've delivered babies know all about that stress. It's stressful yet hopeful. But most importantly, here's what I want you to note. Note the results of the stress on Jesus' followers. Here's what Jesus says will happen as these paradoxical dynamics increase. Verse 9, you can expect to be persecuted. You can be expect even to be put to death. Verse 10, many will fall away from the faith. Others will betray, even hate each other. Verse 11, some are going to start following false prophets. And because of the increase of lawlessness, verse 14, love will grow cold. People are just going to live for their own little selves, their own little comforts. Um, Give me me and my cocoon. I'll live for my personal pleasures. Rather than, these are Jesus' followers, rather than living for the king and living for that kingdom. So Jesus says in our passage, be alert, watch, pray, be prepared for the days you live in. Don't fall asleep. He he calls us to pay attention to our age. And that's why I'm trying to uh, articulate these things. Because he said, learn from the fig tree. The trees outside, they're budding. We know summer's come, despite the weather. But he said, when the twigs get tender and leaves come out, you know that summer's in there. Pay attention to what's going on in this world and stand firm, true to God to the end. In this age, in those, in that paradox, stand firm. Are you going to stand firm? Will I stand firm? Before you answer that question, let me give you a caution. One that brings me back to my text, central text, verse 34. When Jesus says that that generation that he's speaking originally these words to will not pass away until all these things have happened. Jesus is about to portray the final days to come. The call to watch and pray The call to not fall asleep, the call to stand firm was also given to that first group of disciples. And how did they respond? They were like, I'm in, Jesus. I'm all in. I'll be there. I'll stand firm. Even if the others forsake you, not me. Not me, said Peter, and the others chimed in. And then the portrayal of our age and its future began to unfold. Lawlessness increased, the conniving of the Pharisees and the Roman authorities, justice denied, human rights suppressed for the well-being of society. Then the God-fearing one, captured, persecuted, put to mock trial, beaten, even put to death, just as Jesus said might happen 
to the faithful. And when he died on earth, the ground shook, the earth convulsed, the sun turned black, darkness covered the earth, tumult and stress. And where were those ones who said they'll stand firm? They're also part of our teaching. Jesus said, as Jesus said, many turned from the faith. The Hosannas turned to crucify him. And as the end drew near and times got heavy, Peter, James, and John got so stressed, they got tired and they fell asleep. And Jesus kept coming back to them in Gethsemane. And they said, he said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Three times, watch and pray. And they slept. Their love grew cold. They fled. Peter denied him. He abandoned the faith. And one even betrayed him. So Jesus went through our future standing firm, alone, alone. But he did so to become our Savior. He did so to become our hope. He became our Savior for us, with us, and in us. See, there's only one way that we stand firm. Not by putting confidence in ourselves. We stand firm putting confidence only in Jesus, the truly God-fearing human. We stand firm only if our trust is in him, in worship, in attention, in wisdom, in prayer. He stood firm to the end to become our unique savior to lead us through the days to come. So we stay awake. We stay watching and praying in him who is our savior. And therefore this week ahead is so important. Read the gospels. Read the gospels. Fall in love with Jesus again. Marvel at his obedience. Learn from his discernment. Dwell in his humility. Seek his honesty. Hunger for his resolve. Be awed by his courage. Repent of your cowardice. Be wary of your comforts. Drink the caffeine of his being to stay awake. Melt at his forgiveness. Unite with his trust. And then rejoice in his victory. For it's his resurrection that guarantees that he will come again after the stress of the days ahead. The Son of Man will appear in glory, and he'll deliver this stressful, laboring world, the kingdom of God, which he has begun on earth. Upon his return, our world and our lives in him will be judged, purified, and then renewed in resurrection glory. He stood firm to the end so that you and I might stand firm in him. So indeed, may you fall in love with him again this weekend. He is the word of God that will never pass away. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for being indeed the living word. And for teaching us, Lord, about the days we live in. Glory be to you. Hosanna be to continue to save us, God, and save this world. Bring people into the joy and goodness of your rule. Help us, Lord God, to live out 
the nature and character of your kingdom to come, Lord, in our personal lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our callings, Lord, in all of life. May we bear witness. Continue, Lord God, uh, to bring your gospel, I know you will, to the ends of the earth, Lord. We look forward to your coming again. But especially in light of the week ahead, we're mindful, Lord, that we just need you. We need you afresh so that we can stand firm in you. Grant to us, Lord, fresh understanding. Grant to us new courage for the days we live in. Lord, grant to us discernment, wariness of our comforts, for we are so blessed. Lord God, we ask that you, you, God, in Jesus, would help us to stand firm and be faithful to you in our day. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, in response, I picked a, a, a 